tell them what is going to happen through the interview. So I think very often uh, in presentations or interviews, people go in and, and it just starts and you're kind of going, oh, I'm not sure what the process is, but I'll just go with it. I don't know what this person is going to talk about. I don't know why they're explaining this particular software or whatever it might be. So I think it's always important to explain to people, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to introduce you where I'm going to talk about the company. Uh, then we'll get you to talk about yourself and then we'll ask you questions. And please feel free to ask questions throughout the whole process. So then I will talk to them about the company, just literally talk about Animal Logic. And if they're an artist, particularly going onto a show, tell them a little bit about the show. And that usually takes about five minutes. And I think that five minutes means that they've just got a chance to adapt, adapt um, get used to the fact that they're talking to everyone, just relax a little bit more. They don't have to talk straight away. It's not all about them, it's about the company and the project. So it's not this laser focus on them. But then I do hand it over to them and give them a chance to just talk about themselves. And I must say, by and large, most people handle that really well. They're happy to talk about themselves. The one problem you can often get is that people will talk too much and again that's nerves people are full of adrenaline and they'll talk for 20 minutes about themselves when really you just want them to say you know like a three four minute piece about themselves you are listening to the 21 artist show a podcast that inspires creatives to make meaningful content to pursue their passion i'm talking with creators artists and engineers about their careers lessons they have learned and how to make an impact I'm your host, Alexander Richter. I'm a technical director and coach in visual effects, animation, and games. For more content, go to 21artistshow.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the 21 Artist Show. I'm here at Sydney at Animal Logic, and today I have the guest, Nick Hoare, with me. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Alex. Basically, what we want to talk about today is about recruiting and the general idea of how to get into the industry, how to get into companies maybe like Animal Logic, and also maybe how to bridge like country borders, cultural borders, and all the things that maybe hold you back when you apply for a job in visual effects, animation, and games. And that's basically also the first question I would like to, to ask you is, how did you become like a recruiter and especially like at some such a prestigious company as Animal Logic? Good question. I did not have a recruitment background prior to coming to Animal Logic, not, not directly. Um, I worked for a local organization which was run by the state government and it had a scheme that placed people at various companies. Uh, it was a way that the local government could support the CG industry here in this state. And I was helping place individuals here at Animal Logic. At that time, they had no recruitment department. So it was all prior to that. Basically, producers and supervisors had boxes of back then VHS tapes under their desks. And that's how they chose people and they had just started work on Happy Feet, which was our first animated feature. <laughs> yeah, sitting behind me there. I'm not sure if that was an accident, but <laughs> prepared. Yeah. And they decided that it was about time they did get uh, an anima uh, a recruitment department together. So because I was involved in seeking local talent, they approached me to see if I was interested. And yes, I've, I've been here for almost 20 years now. That's so long, especially I think in the modern industry, you know, mm. where like 
project-based uh, like gigs are very normal. I think that's such a, for some people, hard to understand reality. Yeah. Um, also, if you if you look on all the you know Instagram and TikTok tips of how to get more money, it's basically switching companies is probably the, the most common way. Yeah. What do you think is for you as a recruiter specifically the most important like key aspect, like as being a good recruiter, as being part of you know uh, a company that has to be very selective mm. and find out the best talent. What is what would we say is the key aspect that you kind of evolved into over the years? I think it's an aspect that I'm even to this day I'm still working on, trying to improve, but planning ahead, knowing what the requirements are going to be, and that that's not easy because as we all know, production changes, requirements change, but having a sense of what's coming up, what you need to be aware of, what artists or technicians you need to be in contact with. Just trying to stay ahead of the curve, ahead of the wave. Ahead of the wave in terms of the project or? Well, it, it may be a project, it may be uh, multiple projects, it may be not even a specific uh, show, it could be a facility requirement. For example, at the moment we're you know, looking at the area of production technology, mm -hmm. our TDs. So that is an area where we are now hiring people as facility hires rather than as project hires. And there's a lot of concentration on some of those roles at the moment. I mean, it's a little bit like, it feels like research basically where you have to start months in advance before you can even like, you know, if you need a supervisor or a bunch of lighters or compositors or something for a show yeah you cannot just say like oh next week or something like that it's often depending also uh, especially on if you want real talent and not just you know some students or something like that yeah. uh, it takes time to recruit people have to move here maybe also not all talent is in australia and so i think that is definitely i think that's why the <laughs> the, the plan ahead kind of probably comes in what is the the other side, basically, what is the skill that you kind of value the most in the candidate? Like what is individually, obviously, you know, per a researcher, a artist has a different skill, but what makes like a good candidate in the in interview, in an application process? The biggest common thing is preparation. Just, just knowing the role, knowing the company, knowing the project knowing the people involved. That's all stuff that anyone can do. That's, that's not a, a special skill that, that particular people have. Some people are better at it than others, but that's something that anyone can do. Taking the time to effectively prepare for both your application, but then all the steps that go on beyond that. So the initial screening call, the initial interview, if it's a technical role, maybe there's a technical task. All of those things you can more effectively prepare for. Don't go in blind. Don't go in thinking, oh, I can just wing this. Some people can, but uh, it, that is a rare talent. It's, I think, probably the same talent as doing, uh, like, winging a presentation. Yeah. Some people can do that. You know, they, they read basically the bullet points and then just you know, improvise and they, don't feel, they feel comfortable enough to improvise. But I think that besides some kind of talent, I think that's always... A skill. It's a, something that people learned over years. They maybe actors, maybe they love it. Present themselves. You know, it's not something they you know just come by nothingness. You know, just yeah. from nothing. I think that is very important. And kind of feel the excuse a little bit of uh, introvert versus extrovert and stuff like that. And how much do you feel like would that 
play a role? Because, I mean, obviously, if you're not prepared, nothing can save you. How much would you say is, a, is that like makes a bit of difference if someone is like very a little bit more closed? And someone who's very like show off, you know, showman a little bit. I think it has to have some effect, but I think there's a number of things there too that you have to consider. And one is that if you present at an interview and you are introverted, I think that becomes obvious quite quickly. And I think straight away, humans being humans, they adjust and they think, oh, this person's a bit quiet. We might have to dig a bit more. If you're an extrovert, then perhaps the opposite will happen. They'll sit back and they might let you talk. Being extroverted is, is not always the best thing in an interview. It, uh, it, it certainly helps in terms of being able to communicate, in being able to present yourself. But if you go over the top, I think that can also have a, a, a negative effect, particularly with people who are thinking, what's this person going to be like in my team? They seem very confident. They seem very full of themselves. Am I going to be able to effectively manage this person? Are they always going to be putting up their ideas and, and maybe not listening as much as I would like them to? It's all checks and balances and figuring out who's going to be the best person for the team. I think if you are an introvert and therefore going into something like an interview is a problem for you, then again, it's something that you can work on, you can prepare for, you can practice interviews. You can go through a range of questions that you think might be asked and think about the answers that you'll come up with. And on that point too, I think if you are practicing answers, I think the key there is to always practice honest answers. Don't, don't make up answers that you think are the right ones, but don't necessarily reflect you. I think if you always stick with the truth, you're never having to think about what it is you have to say. It's, it comes naturally to you the truth. Whereas if you're elaborating on the truth, then you have to always be consistent and be thinking about what did I say last time about this thing? Be honest, practice, sit down with friends, maybe who also work in the industry and go through the process of, you know, maybe, maybe you take turns on being the interviewer. Maybe you take turns at being a tough interviewer. Maybe you're being a, a nice interviewer. Think about the range of questions that might come up. Yeah, think about your answers. Yeah, like smacking off. <laughs> Give me yeah, the answer yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah. I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> what was your last project? Yeah. <laughs> what are you hiding from yeah, us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit surprised that you kind of picked a little bit more the opposite, actually. Like worn, worn more the extrovert and not the introvert. Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of people go into an interview with the feeling of like unprepared often also, but also with the feeling of selling, like, to, like, or at least with the thought of selling, not maybe the, the skill or the attitude of selling, but, yeah. oh, I have to sell myself so people will buy me. Yes. Which is the extrovert's better skill. You know, it's like, you know, someone comes to your door and it's like, hello, can you, yeah, you yeah. like sign the petition? And you're like, uh, no, thank you. It's like, <laughs> hey, how are you doing? That's yeah. what's up with you. Nice to meet you. How's your day? Yeah. You know, here I have, a few, you know, and yeah, yeah. it's such a different uh, thing. So how would you see that as a different, like, as, as, because then it cannot be selling the same as someone coming to your door because again, an extrovert would win in that kind of way. I think it's a good analogy, the, the sales position selling something. I just personally, if, if I go to buy something, if the salesperson is really kind of, hey, I've got <laughs> the best product for you and you're going to love this and 
There's nothing finger wrong guns. with it. Finger guns. <laughs> I'm straight away kind of, mm, I'm being sold something here. For an introvert, being honest and communicating can still be an effort, obviously. So that's, that's where that practice side of things comes in. It's just if you oversell, that can be a problem. People can really feel like, mm, I'm not sure. I, I think I'm being sold something here. And maybe what, what I'm actually getting is not what I'm being told I'm getting. You just have to be a little careful about overselling. Be honest, be communicative. Often people can get quite nervous in, a, in an interview situation and nerves do all sorts of funny things to people. Some people it makes them quite verbose. They can't shut up. They just talk and talk and talk. Now, obviously that can be a bad thing. You are getting information across, but often it can be too much information. Other people can have the opposite effect, particularly if you are an introvert. Some people can just clam up and almost appear rude or sullen. They're just things to be aware of about how you're presenting yourself. It's a balance. I think overdo it either way and that becomes a problem. If you can try and find that middle ground, that's, that's probably best. I think the, you described it best if you say like uh, if someone is like overhyping something, it feels like, is that true? While if someone is like, you know, carefully planting, yes. uh, you know, then you're like, okay, there's Uh, the things that that the person says seems to be true enough because they don't push it too hard. I'm wondering, and, and that's the uh, other topic that I definitely want to check, how much is that a cultural thing? Because if you go to US, it's definitely more on the selling side. It's yes. more the big promises that people just stick to some degree. It's a cultural thing, like, you know, where in Germany you you hide your your status because it's people will like look down on you if you're like, you know, drive your Ferraris everywhere and, you know, show how rich you are and talk about I'm an entrepreneur or something like that. People don't like it in that way. People like hard work and people like success, but not showmanship in that way, you know? You can, and I think Australia is the same. And that's that's why I'm wondering, like, how much is that uh, influencing, basically? Because I can imagine, like, you know, someone coming from America or, or, or a country where you show your wealth and knowledge and maybe overpromise hmm. can, like, backfire in a country where, you know, like Germany or maybe Australia, where it's like, oh... Okay, is that is that true? Is that really how that works? Is that something you can really deliver in four hours? How many people would you say are like more or less percentage-wise are not from Australia? Oh gosh, Just, uh, that we're hiring at Animal. Yes, um, I think I think it would be roughly 30 to 40% percent of the workforce would be non-Australian that we yes. we're either bringing in or they're already on the ground here, but still requiring a work visa or whatever yeah. it might be. But yeah, we are, I think we're getting better and better at just aware of those cultural differences in a similar way. And, and certainly, yeah, the, the kind of big selling North American. Well, I should say Americans because I think Canadians are a different. I don't think so. Yeah, different yeah, yeah. again. Trying to be aware of that and maybe dig in a little bit more to find out is, is part of what we try and do. And then also trying to decipher that big sales pitch and trying to say, okay, well, you say you have this experience and you could take this on. Let's actually find out what you really know. So digging in and, and saying, so have you used this specific technology? Do you know about these aspects? When have you done these sorts of roles? Can you, can you explain how that works? So just trying to unpick it a little bit. And we're not, we're not trying to catch people out. We're just trying to find out the truth. And mm. the last thing we want to do is put someone in a situation where they're going to fail. 
that doesn't help anyone. It certainly doesn't help them. It doesn't help us as an employer. We want to match the right people to the right position. There is the saying of even in interviews, like fake it till you make it kind of. So, so you know, maybe people can say like, oh, I'm maybe not there yet, but if I get the job, I will find out, you know, I will, I will get there basically. But if you say that, I think if, that, if that's the honest approach is, well, you've asked me about this particular software. No, I haven't used that professionally. I've maybe played around with it at home. I, I understand that's not the same as professional experience, but I'm really interested in furthering my knowledge in that area. But just being honest about what your actual experience with something But that's is. the thing, isn't it? The fear of saying no in general. Like every time I'm doing like interview training is always people either are very easy on the, on the no because it's like, you know, they don't know what to say or they kind of heard somewhere that you blah, blah, blah your way through it, you know. Oh, did you know Katana? And they're like, actually, I don't. Uh, yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, our, they don't give you specific things. So someone who has a little bit of understanding of what's going on will see through it easily, but they just like blah, blah, blah their way through like two, three minutes of nothingness. Basically, I think both are actually not the best answers. I think what I generally recommend is you say what you actually have an experience. It's yes. rarely that you have zero experience. I don't believe that. It's very, very rare that you have like never touched a software in the industry that you're applying to, yeah, you know? Yeah. So even for you, maybe like, for example, I don't know, like Render Man. Okay, I, I worked for Render Man like half a year. Uh, in my personal time, I did some, some refraction testing and stuff like that, but never professionally. And that is the, the more answer that, I, that you also described is more, instead of like having this binary yes or no, mm. describe your experience with that. If you cannot like answer a simple, you know, yes, because I worked on the Lego movie or something like that. Oh, I have this and this experience with it specifically. So it's not, neither yes nor no, basically, from what I think you are expecting. You know, yes. like your question is more probably professionally, like, did you work on Katana or do you know Katana? And for me, it's I'm like, I understand. Oh, do you work on it professionally in a professional place? That's why we hire you probably also. Yeah, exactly. So I think that is the best way that uh, I see people should approach that answer is like, sort of, having this black and white situation or bullshit their way uh, through it. Just describe what you actually know about it. And I mean, worst case, you have to say no if you have zero knowledge, but then I think it's a lack of preparation, which yeah. comes back to, <laughs> to the beginning of your uh, statement. I do think the, the bullshitting approach is, is the worst approach. And each supervisor I work with is, is different, but by and large, I think they all appreciate it if somebody says, you know what? No, I haven't had any professional experience in that particular software. I have studied it at college or I have done some personal work. So filling out that space, but being honest up front rather than saying, oh, yeah, sure, sure. I've," And then being found out, that then immediately creates distrust between the person who wants to employ you and, and you. And that's obviously not what you want to happen in an interview. So they would much prefer people uh, be honest give the little detail that might be there rather than trying to what we call gild the lily. I don't know that one. No, no, no. Well, a, a less nice term is polishing the turd. <laughs> 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 okay. Don't try Yeah. Don't try and make something out of something that's not there because you will get, you, you'll be found out. You'll probably be found out in the conversation itself. Um, it'll be fairly obvious to the people who do know about that stuff that you're talking around a subject rather than talking knowledgeably about something. The common red line through everything you just said is, is trust. 
Yes. It's because like, you know, if someone who's extrovert over promises, mm. there is no trust because you like, especially when you find out. Yes. Um, someone who, you know, polishes something that is not there, yeah. you know. There and is in no a trust similar and way with, with, uh, with an introvert too, some of the trust there is I need to be able to trust that you will come up. to me if there's a problem. Yeah, don't don't sip, and that that is a that it's is always one. a problem for somebody who is yes. like that. For for a lot of people, particularly at the beginning of their career, thinking, oh, if I just stay here quietly, the problem might go away, or I can figure it out. Rather than going, hey, you know what? I've got a big problem here. Can you help me, or can you tell me what I'm meant to do? Yes, um, and that's that we have to admit is not easy to do, but you have to do it. A lot of times, it's just a question of mindset, independent of your culture. Is often this. Yes, obviously, if you're from from Asia, maybe you are afraid because of hierarchy. But if you if you see it as something different, of like like you describe as trust, is like I have to trust you that you have the best in mind for project, from team, for whatever. And it also means you have to you know if you want to call it disrespect me for the moment to save me you know for the whole project. And the same thing also like you know I have to trust that when you come into the interview you're also trying to be, to be the best candidate not just to fake the best candidate yeah. or to you know like because that's at the end of the day it's also some at least i remember how it felt when i went to the first interviews it's like i was kind of trying to to have them accept me kind of in the situation and uh, like I, I was not good enough to so maybe I wasn't I, I'm not sure but that's the thing that's the feeling of you're probably not good enough yet mm. and you're kind of trying to dig your way into this situation and you're trying to figure out like a like how can I it's like a quiz like you know like an exam a little bit like you know okay what can I answer here okay this is the question it's like uh, uh, who wants to be a millionaire like you know and like okay uh, do you have experience with katana doom, 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 doom. Hmm. Which answer should I take? <laughs> you know, ask my mom. <laughs> that is sometimes the, the big problem. I, I feel that the interviews are very examined feel. Like, you know, the very, like you are on this podium and you have to have at least enough percentage to, you know, if you don't, if you have 70% right, it's okay. You maybe have the chance, you know, or 100%, then you will get the job. Is there something that, that you usually do in the beginning of an interview to kind of, you know, smoothen a little bit wow. because the tension is there. I mean, even yeah. when we started this podcast, it's like, we need a moment to, you know, adapt to each other and get back together and stuff like that. What I like to do at the beginning of an interview is uh, obviously introduce everyone. Um, so they, they're aware of who they're talking to. And by the way, this is Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and then give, tell them what is going to happen through the interview. So I think very often uh, in presentations or interviews, people go in and, and it just starts and you're kind of going, oh, I'm not sure what the process is, but I'll just go with it. I don't know what this person is going to talk about. I don't know why they're explaining this particular software or whatever it might be. So I think it's always important to explain to people, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to introduce you where I'm going to talk about the company. Uh, then we'll get you to talk about yourself and then we'll ask you questions and please feel free to ask questions throughout the whole process. So then I will talk to them about the company, just literally talk about animal logic. And if they're an artist, particularly going onto a show, tell them a little bit about the show. 
And that usually takes about five minutes. And I think that five minutes means that they've just got a chance to adapt, adapt, um, get used to the fact that they're talking to everyone, just relax a little bit more. They don't have to talk straight away. It's not all about them. It's about the company and the project. So it's not this laser focus on them. But then I do hand it over to them and give them a chance to just talk about themselves. And I must say, by and large, most people handle that really well. They're happy to talk about themselves. The one problem you can often get is that people will talk too much. And again, that's nerves. People are full of adrenaline and they'll talk for 20 minutes about themselves when really you just want them to say, you know, like a three, four minute piece about themselves, what they studied, uh, what they're interested in, what their jobs have been, the kind of technologies they've used, kind of situations they've been in professionally, where they want to go. And then usually that's, that's enough to get things started. And I think people are into it then and by and large, uh, most people are okay. You do, you do get people who are obviously very nervous. Yeah. Um, and if they're, if they're super nervous, I will, I'll actually address it. I'll say, hey, look, we can tell that you're very nervous. That's absolutely fine. We're all nervous. I get nervous when I do interviews and I'm not even the one being interviewed. That's absolutely normal. Just go with it, you know, just accept the fact that you're, you're absolutely buzzing um, and we're okay with that. Let's just get on with it. And usually that helps a little bit, but, but some people, the very few individuals, sometimes um, it can be a little bit too much. And sometimes we can even say, look, you know what? Why don't we come back to this? Why don't we give you a chance to, to relax? Uh, we can talk about something else, or maybe we could reschedule this and come back and talk to you at another time. I was thinking too about the, the just an addendum to the question issue. It's definitely something that we, say a lot, which is that there is no such thing as a stupid question. And there really isn't. I think if you don't know something, how else are you going to find out other than by asking? However, there have been situations, particularly where there's, you know, maybe a particular software or technology that we are using, which is maybe not the best, but you're stuck with it. It's what we're using for that show. And that's not going to change. And you can sometimes get people in the teams who are just constantly questioning that, saying, why are we using this? Why don't we do this a different way? Which is, an, again, absolutely a fine question. But once, Until, once that's been answered and once you've been told that and it's been explained to you, maybe several times, if you keep coming back to that with your supervisor, that's going to drive them crazy. It should be clear after the first couple of times that, okay, this is just the situation we're in. We're going to have to go with it. We realize you like this other software better or you like this other method better. We're not going to use that. For this show, this is what we're doing. So you just have to accept that. So I know in the past, yeah, that has been an issue for some supervisors. And, and these are people that I know and trust and I know that they're just not being picky about particular people. I know that they're very um, accepting and broad-minded. But when these people keep coming back and back and back and questioning decisions that they've made, in some ways it, it, it can show a little bit of a lack of respect for that person and the decisions that they've made or, or the situation that they're in and that they're trying to make the best of. Because you mentioned like there's like new stu no stupid question and you give, give this example, which is more uh, probably less likely in an interview, probably more likely. Yeah, in I'm, I'm talking about people later. once they're working in uh, But I mean, it can happen in an interview that someone has this a bulldozer approach of like, oh, which after you use? Are you sure? 
You know, I can imagine at least, like I can imagine there's at least a few people who have this a little bit like, oh, it's not not modern anymore. Like Maya, phew, everyone's using Houdini now, Katana, yeah. whatever. And I think there's ways of asking about that too. It's kind of like, oh, you're using that technology. Well, what, what's led you to? Sure. To, I mean, that's to perfect. hang on to that. Or, <laughs> I mean, asking you're still way. using 3ds Max. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were we were the last studio in the world, I think, to use the XSI. Mm. We were hanging on to it to the bitter end. The most typical thing, if you go into very traditional visual effects animation houses, you know, mm. they're so, uh, their software is so built on that while, you know, a lot of studios are comparably new and they grabbed at least the most recent, more or less. And so it's a little bit easier for them. When I was working wet away, we still have uh, things from Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, so, which is also uh, a while ago. Yes. Welcome to our short mid-episode coffee break. If you love the content and would like to have a successful career in the film or games industry yourself, check out my website 21artistshow.com. There you can find helpful articles, masterclasses and coaching opportunities that help dozens of my students to bring their profession to the next level. That's all. Check out 21artistshow.com and share the podcast with cool people you know. Let's continue with the episode. There was a lot. I think that complexity was the, the hardest part working in such a big studio. It's like, it's hard to find documentations, hard to understand what's going on, uh, hard to understand the decision making, which is nowhere to find so you have to ask so you end up asking actually a lot about that but as you said there's a difference between trying to understand and it's a, it's more of an arrogant where you're going with that it's this mm. i know better thing uh, yes. kind of that is where there is disrespect because it's like i know better and you know we can't change it but i still will bring it up kind yeah. of situation what are the things that that you feel are the you see maybe even nowadays even more maybe people do in an interview that just doesn't work like either as being on the quiet side or being on the extreme side you know uh, where you just feel like these are tactics or ways or whatever they they try to establish themselves or try to become knowledgeable or you know like very smooth and like you know very cool whatever uh, and it ends up backfiring extremely for you. I think you hit on it with the with the coolness thing. I think again that can be a sign of nerves. Yeah. People thinking, okay, I feel really nervous, and they're, they're, I'm sure they're not even doing this consciously. It would be a subconscious thing that their response is to, yeah, just chill out and be the super coolest person they can. You know, I'm I'm not interested really in what you're talking about, and you know, just very short answers and. That will never work. I think first and foremost, everyone in the room is thinking, well, I don't want to work with this person. <laughs> um, uh, they might know everything there is to know about the topic, but just on a personal level, mm. I don't want to do it. Yeah, arrogance, that kind of I know everything sort of approach. Even if you do feel that, and I'm sure that there can be situations where you're thinking, I actually know more about this topic than anyone in this room. I guess that can happen. You don't have to shove that down other people's <laughs> throats. You can turn that around and you can you can be asking them about, you know, why, yeah, why they use certain technologies, what, what it is they like about them, how they're doing certain things. And that will both display your knowledge on the topic, but it's not kind of pushing your view 
about how things should be done. Because if, if that's how you come across, then straight away supervisors are going to be backing off going, this person really smart, really clever, really knows the topic. I don't want them in my team because they're, they're just not going to play well with others. The two things uh, that I always say are the most important in an interview is basically finding out if someone's skill level is actually uh, the same level as you think they are, because that's the only thing you can like, you know, measure, you think. So they show you a showreel, you think that level is, is what you interpretate from the showreel, which doesn't mean exactly what, you know, maybe they didn't specify enough or whatever. So you, that's one of the things where you need to double check is what I think about your, your skill level, what I saw from resumes and showreels and whatever, what I gather about you real. And so I can now pinpoint with the supervisor and give details and make sure that all the bases are really covered. And the other part is, are you team player? Are you able to adapt to our team specifically? And I think that's basically the two points that you also mentioned, especially the second one, like, you know, can we bring you into the team? Can you ask questions? Can you raise problems? Don't ask too many questions until it becomes unpleasant, kind of. I think you probably also shift if you feel like someone is absolutely capable. Mm. You, you go more into the team questions, while if someone is like still like on the, is it already junior or is that not, not yet there? You probably go deeper into the qualification question. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Qualification slash experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, how will they know a topic? What would you say nowadays, uh, because you had such a long career now and you can kind of just like see the, the difference, you know, and there's also trends and ways and modern, you know, like uh, ways of seeing yourself and whatever. What is, what is the trend at the moment? How people go into interviews that you feel like uh, is like maybe different to before, like the, also including obviously now more remote than ever? Yeah, I think um, we've definitely become better at communicating on screen mm. and with people on screen. So there's definitely been progress generally in terms of how well people present themselves uh, in interviews, how they can communicate within interviews. I remember early days, there were some people who really just struggle. It was quite common for people to struggle within an interview. But nowadays, generally, most people... You mean people, like live or, or, or like on a phone or something? Well, back then, back when I started here, nearly all of our interviews were live. Mm -hmm. Well, ex except if the candidate was um, out of state or out of country. And yet nowadays we do none. They're all, they're all well, 99.9% .9 are on screen. It's just a lot easier. I and mean, quite apart from COVID. I mean, even if someone is, is, is like in the same country, it's like, you know, like fly in from, from the other side of Australia. It's maybe not just... Well, even if they're in Sydney, it's just, it's just kind of easy. You know, they're in Parramatta and we're in, we're in Sydney. Um, it's, they don't have to travel an hour each I mean, that, that, is, that is something we avoided today. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we could have done it that too, but yeah, it's yeah. like something. I, I, that was literally something for me, the opposite. I, I did a lot of the episodes online, remote. And mm. for me, the, the personal, like it's, it's... It's a huge difference. Such a difference. Yeah. Uh, I can just... Like, you know, I feel more closer to you yeah. and I can just understand your emotions better. So I can feel uh, how much, like if I say something, how are you open up or are you closing up? Mm. Mm. Which I, I really have a hard time with uh, on, the, on the screen. Also yeah. with my colleagues, so if I work somewhere at Weta or something, I was yeah. like, someone makes a, like a comment or criticism or whatever. I had a hard time sometimes to feel 
person, especially if I never met them in person. Yes. And so I feel that is also a really hard situation for interviews because I don't see your whole body. I don't uh, feel the tension in the room. And maybe I feel I'm currently in my living room or my kitchen and everything explodes around me or whatever. So I feel that is a, that's a big, a big difference. And yeah, but what would you say is now like the, the common, common thing for you? Like besides like seems to be that people are more confident in interviews. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think generally um, we're becoming more and more media savvy and, you know, I guess that's kind of a, one of a better term, like the TikTok generation, um, people are just happy being on screen. They can, they're getting better at reading people on screen. But like you say, I think there's no, there's no substitute for being in person. Um, we've spent millions of years evolving to read other humans. We can do it to a limited extent on screen. We can do it to an even more limited extent over a phone call. And that, again, that's how we used to do a lot of interviews was over the phone. But there was always that unknown factor particularly when you did phone interviews uh, about how that person was really going to hit the ground. Um, you would do whatever you could to, to try and clear some of that knowledge about them. But yeah, I think, yeah, all those different grades of, of, of communication change. Person to person, much by far the best. On screen, not so good. Over telephone, worse and then email is worse again yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's always the same thing i i uh, like a lot of people when it comes for example even worse for a lot of people is contract negotiation yeah. where people would prefer to have like email yes. rather than especially person like you know on the same table um but i, I say it's like yeah it's, it's go both ways because if if you have the time to think and not have the pressure of someone's you know breathing down your neck mm. uh the other person has the time to think and uh have like you know be more calculating yes uh you know less emotional about the whole thing you know where you where they just like okay i calculated here's your number yeah. you know this is the best for me and then they like oh no it's not good here's my number yeah. And it becomes this disconnected kind of trying objective ways of trying to connect with each other. Yeah. Uh, so I feel the same thing is a little bit with interview. And at the end of the day, I mean, you hire someone to be there, like, you know, to, to work with other people, to communicate every day, a few hours with them. Obviously, if it's remote, it's remote. But yeah, you cannot avoid the, the whole interpersonal Thing. And so I think the interview is such an important part of making sure that this interpersonal thing is, is uh, strong and uh, you know, reliable at the end of the day when you hire them, which is very hard because it's just maybe an hour mm. uh, of meeting mm. someone, you know, and, and everyone can fake an hour. <laughs> you know, we, it's like, uh, what, what was it like Mark Twain is like, I was sad in life until I noticed that I was running around with my real mask while everyone had mask on or something like that. And, and so I think that is the, 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 also the other skill is like, you know, seeing through in both ways in how to help them if you feel they're shy or maybe they're overextend and you're like, hey, is that true? Um, so you give them the chance to balance back in, but also making sure that that they are not malicious in, in, in a passive or active or effective way where they like, you know, like, uh, I, I just bullshit my way in and then yeah. we'll see. And you're like, ah, oh, that's a problem for us, actually. What would you say is like a good candidate research, whatever uh, they want to apply lighting, uh, where you feel like, okay, this is a person, the way that they communicate, the way they speak, the way they approach this interview, 
is what I want and someone who is exactly the opposite, even from maybe someone else would hire them, but uh, maybe that was not the right person for Animal. We've spoken about people who are team players, so people who are reflecting the fact that they listen to other people, which we're going to observe within a, an interview, how you listen to the questions and, and how you respond to them, that is respectful of other people, is able to give an opinion, put, put thoughts forward, and well-informed thoughts and opinions. In certain circumstances, people who can think a little bit outside the square, and I think that's often reflected in, uh, say, some of our technical roles where we'll do a technical task and then we'll follow that up with a technical interview. And the important thing in those uh, situations is not necessarily getting the task correct, but how you then respond in the conversation afterwards when it's Typically what we will do is we'll, we'll often start talking to them about the way they approached a problem and then maybe giving them clues about other ways to approach the problem and seeing how quickly they pick up on that and, and can kind of take that and run with it. I think that's also like the point a little bit where I want to quickly jump into is like it's not an exam. It's not about no. getting 100% like at the end, you know, like uh, answered all the question correctly, uh, made a good impression. Everything is checked. Now we can hire them. So yeah, it's yeah. not a 100% thing or it's, it's not like you have like a particular list in the background where you check all of them. Um, you value like enough Basically, if, if someone, I think like in, in Google interviews, always more about the explanation than the solution. Yes. Where even if you don't 100% get the solution right, but your explanation makes total sense, yeah. um, you know, or you would make it if you didn't miscalculate something or whatever, mistyped something, yeah. then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, just a, you know, flu just thing. Minor yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 a small buck or something like that. So, so that's, I think that's very important to like hammer down. It's like, hey, we're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for best impression. You have to make, you know, perfect presentation, perfect interview style, perfect solution to every question we ever give you or technical question we ever give you. It's more about communicating good enough yes. and understanding the person, I think, you know, like understanding how they think yes. and understanding how they like approach things and how they like approach pe people. And I think, I think that is more important. So it's basically more at the end of like a feeling that you have at the end. Yeah. So, but how can you? Well, there's feeling, but I mean, there's, there's definite things that you can measure. It's like, do they understand this? Do they have experience in this particular area? Sure. So all of those things, they're, they're tick boxes. Obviously like five years in, in ILM. Yes. Yeah. Well, but depending on what they did at ILM. Sure. And the technologies they've used, the particular roles they've been in. Um, the kind of problems they've had to face and, and how they've dealt with them. Do you hire for potential sometimes? Yes. Like yeah. where you, where you, like you see, ah, it's not there. Not there yet, Yes. but they have all the right building blocks, all the right interests, and maybe they've done the right degree, and they're, they're talking about the sort of stuff that we're talking about. They're, they've, they're obviously interested and want to go there, but they're also being honest about their lack of experience and knowledge, but but they're all ready to go. What does that mean? Like, what does it ready to go? Like, uh, well, it, there's, there's uh, the potential there that we can see that we could bring them in. We could see in six months time, they might be the person that we want. And, and for this particular role, that's possible. It's not always possible. Certain roles, sure. it's like we need somebody to hit the ground running. 
we, we can't bring that person like in. supervisor, like, sorry, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll oh, make you supervisor in a few years. <laughs> but certain roles, particularly, yeah, where you have a long ramp up to a show, perhaps, mm. it might be ideal because it might be a situation where you are actually going to be doing some fairly low level stuff to start with, but that is going to ramp up and they see the potential for you at where you are in your career now to take the, the bits and pieces that you have that make you up as a, as a potential employee to then develop into the person that we want in six months' time. And often that's a, that's a great thing for us to do because if you make that investment in that person, that's something that that employee really values and they, they will actually they will have respect for the company and have a certain level of loyalty to the company as a result. Yeah, it's a little bit like a building blocks from both sides, you know, one feels appreciation to the comp company, like, you know, building you up. Yeah. And the other feel appreciation for someone like coming from, you know, yeah. and being hopefully 20 years at the company at the end of the day and like, you know, uh, experiencing all of it and the change and, uh, you know, finding challenges every few new challenges every few years i think that that's also for both kind of but it's hard in this specific industry at the moment because it's such a project-based industry often you know like you you hire and fire people because project is over yeah now project is not ramping up yet anything that you see at the moment that you feel like would be a good like we talked about reminder you know we have to remind people to do that because it's so obvious but a lot of people don't is there like a few things that you know if you would create a, a small checklist mm. of going into an interview and making sure this will be a, definitely an okay interview yeah. independent of your skill level or whatever but it will be okay is there like a few things that you see today that uh, you would highly recommend people yeah. just you know check before they go in an interview? Yeah, so it's all preparation. Mm -hmm. It's all looking, uh, going back, looking at the original job ad, making sure that you you really understand what they're asking for. Looking at who's going to be in the interview. Um, you can do your homework. You can go and look at them on LinkedIn. Uh, and it's even nice in the interview to actually say, hey, I saw you worked on this show or that show. That's a little booster for the person who's interviewing you. It makes them feel good about you, that mm. you actually know about them. Knowing about the company and the project, if, if that's possible. At least the, the previous project and obviously like, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> you should not be surprised, but oh, I watched this movie. I didn't know you worked on that. Yes. <laughs> and that, that comes up in interviews sometimes. And that's, that's not a great, it's not a terrible thing, but you should know that. I, I had this actually uh, in a, in a um, mock-up interview where uh, one of my students, they applied for Blizzard. And then uh, I asked them like, uh, what, what's your favorite Blizzard game? Yeah. And then the answer was, um, I, don't, I don't really like games. Yes. <laughs> I was like, mm. mm, not necessarily. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what to do from there. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's instantly over, like a small a question that I, did, I didn't even think that was a question that was relevant. Like I was literally, it was like a throwaway question, basically, like a small talk question that yeah, I yeah. felt like I was not even thinking that someone even like, you know, it's Blizzard. It's not like some yeah. indie studio or something like that. So it's such a path to go to Blizzard where you apply for same thing, Animal. Um, so it was such a throwaway question, but it ended up being basically instant, instant. Interview killer. Yeah, absolutely a killer for yeah. an interview. But, and there's, there's two kind of things about that answer. One is, are they just covering for the fact that they don't know Blizzard's games, which is entirely possible? Sure. Or 
are they being truthful? And I did say you should be truthful in your answers yeah. that they don't like games, but I think there's ways of answering that question because you weren't saying, do you like games? You were saying, what's your favourite Blizzard game. So you could still rank them and say, well, I think this was a really interesting thing and this is a really interesting thing. I don't like games. But <laughs> these, are, these are the, you know, you don't have to say that. I mean, it would become so, hard when, when, you know, like, oh, Diablo, so. Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite item? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes, but yeah, and it, again, it was like such a throwaway question, but you can, like, you know, shoot yourself in the foot, basically, if you. It, it it was not even unprepared, but it could be unprepared if if you know what's your favorite Lego movie, for example, and then someone comes in and is like, uh, yeah, and that is even still easy. Maybe favorite Lego character. I was like, ooh. <laughs> but I think on projects too. So often we will mention what the project is, and there, there's a golden opportunity to do some research. So say you're coming into, you know, our current film, The Shrinking of the Tree Horns. You could look into that. You could find out that Ron Howard is the director. You could look at previous films he's made. You, you might notice that he's never done an animated film before, so you might have some questions about that. You might have noticed that the project has actually changed studios. It's gone from Paramount to Netflix. Um, so, again, you might have questions about those things. And it's also actually a more interesting person. Like, you know, someone yeah. feels like more engaged in the whole situation than yeah. just... Uh, only about the person, like question, 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 question. It's like, yeah. like it's more about the whole surrounding of the of the situation that uh, is about the job. And you're painting a picture of yourself too as somebody who is curious, who looks into not just what's in front of them, but they look at everything that's related to it and go, oh, wait a minute, well, we're doing this project here and we're trying to develop this software. But meanwhile, over here, this other piece of software has been developed. And I know about that because I've been reading up about it on on Reddit or whatever it might be, that may become relevant to what we're doing here, rather than just being the person who's totally focused on what's right in front of them. Doing your homework, um, doing your practice, doing little practice runs with your friends and family, making sure you acknowledge everyone in the interview too. You know, it's again, it's a little bit harder when you're doing it on screen, but uh, actually making eye contact with everyone in the room. Making eye contact with the webcam maybe. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and actually, you know, making it clear that you're looking at everyone on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, again, just subconsciously, that registers with people. They noticed me. They were, they were addressing me. Yeah, I think, I think that's the main thing is just doing your prep, making sure you've got your list of questions. I was just in an interview this morning and we asked at the end, do you have any questions? And he said, well, I, I've got this list of questions. I think I said this to you before. I've got this list of questions, but you've answered most of the questions in the interview, which is, again, you're kind of saying you've run a really good interview. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're puffing up the people that are interviewing you. Yeah. But he still had a couple of questions at the end. He yeah, said, oh, yeah. but just two things. And, and yeah. smart questions also. It's smart important. Question. Not like uh, yeah. something, I don't know, like was it like. Uh, what 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 is the the like something that was answered before or something so trivial that is like who cares like how, yeah I don't know how much is how much does the coffee cost here I don't know if that yeah. is, is like yeah. maybe it fits in context but there's some kind of question I feel like it feels like just pushing like just yeah the same thing like over hyping or blah blahing your your way it's like oh you have a question uh, yeah you can yeah, feel there it. are ones that are definitely just kind of filler. Yeah, 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 but um, every now and then we get questions where everyone goes, "Oh, wow, that's a great question. I'd never really thought about that." And you remember, remember and that, this person? Much you remember more. that person? I, I I don't want to push that too much though, because I think yeah, trying yeah. to focus on the killer 
<laughs> you're sitting here like for an hour like yeah, yeah. a whole thing yeah. is like the I one question like, <laughs> the but i mean it's it's basically like like every show reel is you know uh you said it also in, the, in our pre-talk is like uh in the show reel the best work in the beginning and the second best work at the end yeah. uh same thing with the question you know if you have a good question it's such a good impression at the end if you can like you know so maybe Loki compliments the the good interview in the question or make sure that the interviewer feels like you are even better con candidate because of your question because they could deliver information that make sure that you understand the position even better you know like what's my day-to-day for example, that's my, my go-to question. Yes. It's like, what, what will be my day-to-day? -day? Because it can be so different between animal logic, uh, lighting TD, and wetter uh, lighting TD. Like, you know, so um, knowing exactly what will be my responsibilities in the eight hours, for me, that's normally the most common thing that I want to know. And it's a great question too, because as much as an ad describes a role, the day-to-day -day is really, yeah, literally telling you what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, are you programming? Also, are you yeah, are you yeah. looking at at scenes? Are you are team meetings all day long or something like that? Some of them is obvious, but some of them is not obvious, especially yeah. in like a lighting TD position where it's less obvious. Maybe uh, in companies where lighting artist is usually more established, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is the thing. Any final words from you? I guess I just encourage people to be curious, mm. to read up, to find out about stuff. It's never a waste of time. It's amazing the capacity the human brain has to take knowledge in. So just keep packing it in there. Awesome. Great. Nick, such a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. And yeah, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> thanks for inviting me here. Like we are here at Animal Logic, by the way, guys. Uh, we have this amazing room, which is like lit perfectly. I was not expecting that. So it's a. Uh, it's well, there, there's history to these buildings here. These were not built, they, they weren't purpose built as studios. Yeah. This used to be an agricultural showground. So every year at Easter, there's um, a thing called the Easter show okay. in Sydney, where all the biggest cows and weirdest chickens and fruit and vegetables come to the city yeah. and they're displayed. And they used to be displayed here. I think this was the dairy. I mean, there's there's so many windows and so strangely yeah. uh, like arranged. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, wow, this is a, it looks like an art gallery room or something like that. You know? Yeah, well, it, it has been changed a lot since mm, Animal yeah, Logic okay. moved in, but it all changed with the 2000 Olympics. When the Olympics moved out to Homebush, which is out near Parramatta, mm. this then became Fox Studios and all of these buildings were repurposed. That's it with this week's episode of the 21 Artist Show. Thank you so much for watching and listening. This podcast is 100% ad-free. And to keep it that way, check out my website, 21artistshow.com. There you can find exclusive access to awesome masterclasses and coaching opportunities to work successfully in visual effects, animation, and games. Just go to 21artistshow.com. And don't forget to share it with people who would benefit from that content and tell them they're awesome. See you on the next episode. Next on the 21 Artist Show. If you have an article that really annoys you, especially in that topic, look what the rest of the articles of the author was about. And then you can usually see if, oh shit, we need something for the arts department today. Or if it's something that some actual brain power has gone into. 
basically like uh, someone says no CGI on Napoleon and then the previous article on the same day is like makeup tutorial and exactly what's the best way to, uh, you can please him or something like that. <laughs> it's a little bit the credibility what you're exactly. describing. How credible is the source? 